0: Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankton. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This is episode number 15. I'm excited we made it this far and thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please rate this show on your podcast platform. It will help other personal finance enthusiasts find the podcast. Thankfully, we already have an international audience, so I'm excited for this Shankman on Money community to continue to grow so I can keep getting helpful feedback, more questions, and continuously improve the show. This week, we have another exciting episode. My talking points today will be about Dave Ramsey's Seven Baby Steps. For those who don't know, Dave Ramsey is one of the most prolific personal finance personalities in the country. His books have sold millions of copies, and he has various other programming and resources. His target audience are Americans looking to get out of debt. My Kind Base is more focused on people who are past this stage and either have quite a bit of money or are Henry's which stands for high earners, not rich yet. However, a lot of people have asked me my thoughts on Dave Ramsey's seven core baby principles. So I'll offer my thoughts on how relevant they are or not for a Jewish lifestyle. As always, I'll spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions, and we have some juicy ones this week to look forward to. I'll also share a very thought-provoking quote about money, parenting, and life in general. With that, let's jump into this week's talking points. So as I mentioned, one of the leading personal finance personalities in the country is Dave Ramsey. His books have sold a million copies, I think around 5 million copies or more for one of his uh, original books. And his radio show has millions of listeners weekly from across the country. Practically, he has helped countless Americans get out of debt and, of course, and achieve financial stability. If I help even 1% of the number of people that Dave Ramsey has inspired, I'll consider my career wildly successful. The cornerstone of Dave Ramsey's philosophy, his seven baby step principles, are necessarily general in nature. After all, it's impossible for any financial guru to give customized guidance to millions of people. Every family has a unique situation, different goals, and lifestyle choices. Today, I'll offer my thoughts on how Ramsey's baby steps apply to the from community. Baby step number one, save a $1,000 beginner emergency fund. For folks who are deep in debt, getting to a $1,000 emergency fund is a big accomplishment. Unfortunately, in the from world, one Shabbos for a large family can wipe out most of these funds instantaneously. I would suggest moving to step number three to to top the top and set up a proper emergency fund before tackling any debt burden. One unforeseen expense can derail this whole process if one doesn't have enough cash on hand. Baby step number two is to get out of debt using the debt snowball. This snowball strategy has an individual list, has an individual list all their debts in order from smallest to largest owed. They then make the minimum payment on all except the smallest debt and use any other available money to pay as much as possible to the smallest debt. When the smallest debt is paid off, money gets added to the payments of the next smallest debt. This is repeated until all debts, except house and mortgage are paid off. This is a disciplined process for paying off debt and is undoubtedly effective for many. However, mathematically paying down the debt with the highest interest rate first may may be most prudent. Furthermore, certain debt is less bad than others. For example, a fixed rate, low interest student loan is less harmful to your financial life than credit card debt. The key is paying off the worst debt first and making your way down from there. Ramsey's approach may be more psychological in nature. The concept of achieving small wins and gaining momentum in your process is no small matter. Still, for those with loads of debt from many different sources, it's worth sitting down and determining an approach that will minimize their financial burden and makes the most sense for their specific situation. Baby step number three is one I already alluded to, which is to save a proper emergency fund that is three to six months of expenses. It's always important to have an emergency fund. This three to six month estimate is right on target with what I suggest to my own clients. Though the specific amount of cash and emergency fund that I recommend will vary for each family after considering some nuances like job stability, income, and future goals. Furthermore, as I said above, in my opinion, establishing a proper emergency fund should be the first step in this process. Baby step number four is invest 15% of your household income for retirement. This is a great rule of thumb. If you start saving 15% of your income in your 20s, keep it up until you retire, invest the funds properly, then you should have a substantial nest egg by the time you retire. Using reasonable assumptions, it could easily be over a million dollars. That being said, a family's basic uh, specific situation when they start saving and what their retirement goals are may not align with the above rule of thumb. An investor's risk tolerance also may allow one family to save less or more than another investor. The 15% rule is still a great starting point. Baby step number five is save for children's college. This is an example of something that may be much less important for a from family's lifestyle than for the typical American household. For most from families, getting their kids through yeshiva is far more concerning than saving for college. While there's no average yeshiva tuition bill, it's not far-fetched to assume that a family will pay high six figures to total yeshiva tuition and total yeshiva tuition costs. I'm not suggesting that folks shouldn't save for college. I personally save for college for my kids. But you have to make sure that your cash flow allows for it and it should be lower um, down on terms of the priority. However, if it ranks much lower on the totem pole of financial parties than 40 yeshiva tuition tuition in high school. It's also important to note that every child will have options when it comes to paying for higher education. They can explore scholarships, loans, and going to a cheaper school. Fewer options may be available for retirement yeshiva tuition and putting food on your table every Shabbos. Baby step number six, pay off your home early. My response to this is, what's the rush? especially if you were able to refinance your mortgage before the Federal Reserve began increasing interest rates. In that case, you likely have a historically low rate. Running to pay down a mortgage of 4% or less seems like a bad use of funds. You may be better off investing in extra funds or using them to build a a stronger cash reserve in case of emergency. Many money market fund accounts, which are completely liquid, are now paying around 5% or more, which is another consideration. It definitely doesn't make financial sense to take out money um, from your home through refinancing to pay bills, go to Israel for circus, or even pay any invest- make any investments. Furthermore, I would also urge clients who are approaching retirement to make sure their mortgage is paid off in full. I understand Ramsey's point of eliminating debt. However, rushing to pay down a mortgage when you have other major expenses along time horizon and more attractive opportunities seems short-sighted. Baby step number seven, build wealth and be generous. There are two different components here, building wealth by investing and giving tzedakah. When it comes to giving tzedakah or charity, Dave and I are on the same page. While he's not a member of the same tribe as me, he is a religious person who strongly believes in tithing or the concept of giving maaser to charity. He's very serious about the importance of recognizing one's good fortune, giving to those who are less fortunate, and supporting charitable organizations that are important in in your life. I also believe that it's essential to have a framework for giving and to make it a cornerstone of your financial plan. When it comes to investing, we see eye-to-eye on the benefits of utilizing mutual funds and avoiding the more exciting stuff, which generally doesn't work out. However, his method of selecting funds, structuring one's portfolio, disregard for fees, and return assumptions are all areas of disagreement. Multiple articles can be written on each of the above uh, um, items and how our respective philosophies diverge. However, the important takeaway on which we agree is to save regularly, invest prudently, stay diversified, and avoid the noise. While I have various critiques of Ramsey's baby steps, there's no question that his approach is sensible and effective for many Americans. At the end of the day, accumulating wealth takes time, effort, and hard work. Virtually every worthwhile achievement in life requires discipline and commitment, and building wealth is no different. Okay, those are my talking points this week. As a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, thoughts, webinars, and all the work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now for this week's quote, which is from the one and only Warren Buffett, who said, more kids are ruined by the behavior of their parents than the size of their inheritance. This quote is quite profound. The, the, the fault assumption is that if kids are left money, they become spoiled and it suffocates their drive in life. The phrase trust fund baby implies all these negative connotations. The reality is a child is influenced primarily by a parent's behavior, rather by the money they leave them. For example, if your parents treat others with dignity and respect, regardless of the person's social standing, that will rub off on their children. If your parents are hardworking, make time for religious study, are philanthropic, honest, and so forth, all this will also influence their kids. Unfortunately, the opposite characteristics, per Buffett's point, are also true. If you're short-tempered, take yourself too seriously and look down on others, if you speak poorly about people, if you're stingy, or if you are extravagant and very showy, all these traits will also impact your children far more than money. One time a preschool teacher told me that a kid in her class said, Mommy, my mommy and daddy always tell me that having a lot of money is not bad. It's not appreciating what you have in life that is bad. These are parents that seem to be passing down the right values to their children. I always try to remind myself that kids learn by watching. My kids are watching very closely. It's important to act in a way that you want your children to emulate. That's one of the best pieces of parenting advice anybody can give you. Now, let's jump into this week's financial questions. If you do have a question, feel free to submit it to me on, at Jonathan at ShankmanWealth.com, and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, first question. <clears throat> A financial advisor is trying to get me as a client. He showed me some pretty compelling performance data based on how his portfolios have performed. It's compelling to say the very least. What am I missing here? I'll answer your question with a real-life story. At a previous firm I worked at, there was a colleague of mine that worked near me on the trading floor. His strategy for getting new clients was going to Morningstar. And for those who don't know, Morningstar is a company that rates mutual funds, among other things and he used to sort for the best-performing funds over the past 10 years. He would then throw it into a proposal system, put his name on it, and show it to the prospective client, claiming that these were portfolios that he created 10 years ago and used for clients. Of course, it's a lot easier to design the perfect portfolio with the benefit of hindsight. Needless to say, a lot of sophisticated investors were fooled by this charade. Most of the population, including people that are smart and who have money, assess who should manage their money by only two criteria. One, performance numbers, and two, fees. Both of these factors can be adjusted easily to impress the client. Unfortunately, neither is a good gauge of future financial success. In short, I believe what your guy is doing is what my former esteemed colleague used to do. Don't be fooled by this. Here's a better way to help assess if a financial advisor has credibility. Ask them, one, what is your process for working with clients? If his answer doesn't start with determining my client's goals, then run the other way. Two, how do you manage your own money? If his capital is not invested in the same manner as he recommends to clients, then pass. Three, does his firm manufacture their own products for advisors to sell? This is a conflict of interest and should give you pause in pursuing a relationship with him, but is not necessarily a deal breaker if the other two items check off favorably. Four, does his firm do accounting and legal work and financial services? If so, this is a hard pass in my opinion. There should be a system of checks and balances with the three independent parties, your attorney, CPA, and financial advisor. They should all be independent from one another. Five, Google his name and see what pops up. If he's a thought leader in the field, does he have anything noteworthy to say on the subject of wealth management? This may be helpful in determining his knowledge base. Next question, what's the most important thing that will determine if you will be successful in reaching your retirement goals? The answer to this is your health. Both spouses must be healthy, otherwise they won't be able to do what they want. Health gives you optionality and plays into every retirement goal. It determines when you will need to stop working, when to cut back working, and the ability to travel, relax with your friends, visit family, etc. Also, you spend less money on healthcare costs if you're healthy. More than money, health is key to successful retirement. Keep in mind, if someone could receive Warren Buffett's wealth, but would also need to be his age and have his health, no one would want to make that trade. Most people want to spend more time on this earth rather than a shorter time. Time is the ultimate asset, and health is the way to maximize your time. (laughs) Next question, what's the difference between a 401k and 403b? The main difference between a 403b and a 401k is the type of employer who offers them. 401k plans are typically offered by private, for-profit companies. 403b plans, on the other hand, are offered by tax-exempt and nonprofit organizations. Anecdotally, many 403b plans I see are not run particularly well, the fees are offensively high and the investment options are terrible. There's also typically poor service on the plan and no regular reviews or employee education offered. There's no reason to have such a bad plan. The CFO or the equivalent at your organization can hire a financial advisor to explore more competitive options for your 403B. Sadly, the folks in charge don't always want to take the time to do this since they, have, they may have different priorities. Next question, should it be a red flag that my advisor is going to the beach regularly in the summer and not watching the markets? Multiple times I've reached out to him, and he told me he was at the beach. Going to the beach is a good life decision, and I approve of it. The big decision is what exactly should he be watching in the market? I mean, he needs to service his clients, give good advice, and respond to requests and questions in a timely manner. But well, what benefit is there to watching the markets? The days of active trading are over, or they are for sophisticated investors who are looking to build wealth and not day trade and lose money. This ain't the 1980s. No person who's not a sucker is showing up in the office in a suit and tie and suspenders and yelling in the phone, buy, 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 or sell, sell, sell. If your advisor is calling you with market updates regularly and you think this is important to your life, then you are both dinosaurs. Sorry, I know that may be offensive, but it's your truth. As long as your advisor is giving you good advice on strategic long-term investing, wealth planning, and has a process in place for you to achieve your goals, and you also trust them, then you sh- it shouldn't matter if he's at the beach, Brunei, or Mars. It doesn't matter. Let the dude go to the beach and find something else to fetch about. A friend of mine researches stock, researched stocks professionally in a previous life, and he just opened up his own fund to manage money. I gave him money to start out with, and his performance has been horrific. I'm literally embarrassed to say how bad his performance has been. How can someone with so much experience have such a terrible performance? Being a research analyst or a stock strategist is very different from actually managing money. They're totally different disciplines. There's no reason to believe that one skill set allows you to do effectively do the other job function. Furthermore, there are many different types of research, research functions, specifically buy-side research and sell-side research. Buy-side research implies you are researching investments for a fund making investments. My guess is this experience may be better prepare someone to manage money. A sell-side research analyst does research for a large bank that offers their research to buy-side institutions like hedge funds and asset management firms, etc. They are the ones that are usually on financial news channels, sharing their opinions and making predictions. The purpose of this role is to offer thoughts on a specific industry or individual stocks. They do not actually manage money or act on their own opinions. This skill set likely does not transfer as well into managing money for investors. My guess is your friend was a sell side analyst and doesn't have the proper expertise to manage money. Sorry to hear that you lost your shirt investing with him. Chalk it up as a learning experience and move your money to someone who actually knows what they are doing. Next question, two part question. Do I need disability insurance? It's insanely expensive. Second, can I just get enough to cover some basic expenses but not so much to cover most of my salary? It will help me save money. The answer to both your question is it depends. First, do you have enough money to live the rest of your life if you become disabled and can no longer do your job? If yes, then you don't need disability insurance. If not, then you do need disability insurance, especially if you have a family that depends on you to pay their mortgage and put food on the table. The answer to your second question is that it may be a fine strategy. You just need to understand the trade-off. If you can no longer work or perform at your current job, and only work in a role that pays much less, then your family will need to figure out a way to get by with only a modest amount of money coming in through your bare bones disability policy. If you, you need to decide if, have, if saving money now is worth that risk. One additional point, group disability insurance is much cheaper than a standalone policy. If you work for a big company with robust benefits, this is definitely worth considering. Also, find out if this policy is portable in case you leave your current employer. Certain jobs, like a physician, I would recommend spending whatever you need in order to get, by, uh, get a standalone policy. Spending a decade or more training only not, only to not be able to work due to disability can be a catastrophic event. Having a proper disability policy to match your specific needs will make this difficult time much more manageable. Is it wrong to spend most of my retirement estate and leave nothing for my kids? No, it's not wrong. It's your money and your decision to do what you want with it. One of the first questions I ask folks approaching retirement is if they have any legacy goals, meaning do they want to leave their money to their friends or a charity? Most of the time, parents do want to leave their funds to their kids. However, it is not uncommon for parents not to. Oftentimes, this is because they may have enough money to live out their own lives and that, and that is their priority. Sometimes the kids are making a nice Parnassa, so it's unnecessary. Other times they just want to enjoy the nest egg, which they spend decades accumulating, and having their kids spend it for them is not appealing. I get it, and there's no judgment here for me. All approaches can make sense. Do what makes the most sense for your life, and don't feel guilty about spending your hard-earned money. Given the impending recession, I suggested moving all my investments to cash. My advisor told me that doesn't make sense. I'm curious as to your perspective. It doesn't make sense. Your advisor is right. Well, I don't know your financial situation, it seems like you're you're not thinking this through. As a Yid, the best way to answer this question is really with more questions. So here it goes. Who says there will be a recession? Why do you believe them? Remember, a recession is a lagging indicator. So we usually don't know what happened until it's over, so what happens if the recession already occurred? Why are you moving to cash in such a scenario? How will moving to cash help in your current situation? Why is it trying to time when to go get in and out of the market a good strategy? Note, it never is a good strategy. Here's the deal, everyone is clueless on when or if we will have a recession until it actually happens. Regardless, timing when a recession may occur should be immaterial to your portfolio construction. If you are older and retired, then you should have enough cash to carry through a tough economic climate. This should be part of your strategy set up by your financial advisor. If you're young and have decades of work experience ahead of you, then a recession is immaterial to your life. It will be a small blip in the scheme of things. Just focus on things that actually matter, like building your career, finding your besherit, and building a bias nema on Okay, that's it for financial questions this week. Feel free to email me with any questions you have and I might answer them on a future episode. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at Jonathan at ParkBridgeWealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all of my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, If you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.